Hello and a warm welcome to the WTA Group podcast. Here we'll gather regularly to discuss the big talking points from the world of supply chains and logistics. For our very first show, we'll have WTA Group CEOs John and Rochelle Summer joining us, the fourth generation of the WTA family business, both with a lifetime of experience in complex supply chain management. The perfect people then to quiz about industry trends in 2023 at a time when podcasts like this one like to do this kind of thing. So let's waste no time then in getting into the conversation. Welcome to you both then on this uh, debut WTA Group podcast. Lovely to have you uh, as part of the conversation today. So we'll start with you, Rochelle, if that's all right. I mean, the economic conditions uh, at the moment aren't ideal for businesses off the back of uh, COVID and with inflation as high as it is uh, for for many uh, leading economies. Do you think it's true that, that that business leaders won't be looking at 2023 with a huge amount of optimism, or, or do you think there is there are things to to look at positively? I think it's going to be a bit of both. I think it depends what industry you're in, but when things are, are volatile or tough, or the economic environment is uh, a bit strained, uh, you know. But there's always opportunities, even in when you're moving into periods of um, economic instability and certainly the figures that are coming out in the last few weeks are are not looking good but as I said there there is always opportunity and it's been um, agile uh, enough as a business to to find those opportunities um, to pay attention to what the markets are saying but also don't get completely distracted by the noise many companies have a, a strategic plan have their strategic priorities and they continue to focus on that, irrespective of what um, various markets are doing or saying. John, is it, Rochelle's talked about uh, opportunity there. Is it true then, in a logistical sense, is it true that, you know, perhaps a, an opportunity and an advantage here is is those lower freight rates and, and increased availability that, that businesses haven't really had over the COVID period of the last two years? Yes, I mean, over the last couple of years, we, we, we've seen rates at their highest, certainly in my lifetime. And that's in itself caused a lot of financial pressures, which have had to be passed on to the end consumer. But at the same time, uh, due to that uncertainty, a lot of companies have um, overstocked. And I, I, I think there is still a, an element of that. Uh, warehouses are still very full. And yes, they will want to take advantage of the low rates. But at the same time, I think the, the shipping lines will uh, look at certain measures to bring these rates back up. It's not viable to have these rock bottom rates in the long run. That's right. That They'll take out the overcapacity in the market. We're already seeing a number of blank sailings. Um, is that going to increase over the coming weeks? Um, who knows? We are also going into a period, certainly in the logistics space, of more uncertainty. We thought we were nearly out of the the COVID pandemic. China has abandoned its COVID zero policies and we're only just beginning to see the effect that is going to have. Um, Add that into the um, Chinese New Year coming up uh, towards the end of January, 22nd of Jan. That's the biggest um, annual migration that we see 
what impact is that going to have now that the COVID zero policy is gone? You know, how are the um, the factories going to be impacted? How are the ports going to be impacted? Um, trucking, you know, we haven't seen the impact yet, but I think we will do in the in the coming months. You know, John has touched on the the inventory that's been built up and that's that's perhaps not shifting as 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 quickly as it typically would, given the, the economic conditions. Are, are we seeing then, Rochelle? a market that has really swung back in favor of the shippers and almost away from the asset-owning carriers at the moment? I wouldn't say it's a massive swing back to them. Um, I, I think what is happening now um, is that the shippers and the shipping lines are meeting in the middle. The shipping lines know that they have to compromise a lot more than they had to, say, 12 um, to 18 months ago or even you know, a couple of months ago. So they're certainly looking at contracts rates and being a lot more amenable than that, what they have done in the past. But yeah, I, I think a, a massive swing is probably overemphasizing it. I think uh, there's going to be a meeting in the middles and certainly the shippers are going to have a lot more negotiating power than what they have had in the last 12 to 18 months, certainly. Yeah, and and you also mentioned China abandoning the the, the zero COVID policy. Um, John, just just what are your thoughts on that? What what impact are you uh, possibly expecting that to have? Is that is that something that that shippers should be monitoring constantly? The fact is, we we don't know. We can make certain predictions that there, there will be disruption, as Rochelle says, mm. in in the warehouses in the manufacturing facilities and at the ports. I think the best thing we can advise is to plan ahead and to remain agile, to to continually talk to your uh, suppliers and your clients to see how much you can predict and and see if if the demand is is likely to grow or is it going to remain constant. Mm. It's perhaps having more of a global outlook better because, you know, we've touched on, you know, Generally, the economic outlook is is quite gloomy, but some markets are certainly performing better than others. The USA market, for example, is is doing better than the UK market in terms of retail demand and that sort of thing. Um, so, so John, would you say just just keep keeping a more global outlook as a as a business, perhaps exploring uh, certain export markets that that had not been looked at before, is 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 a worthwhile endeavour? Absolutely, there's always opportunities for those customers where they believe their products would be in demand in in new markets um but there's always an air of caution to to make sure that you do plan ahead and you do all your due diligence correctly um it's it's you know certain market new markets is quite difficult to break into but with with careful planning speaking to the right people it's always possible um Mm -hmm. and i think uh companies really should broaden their horizons on on where they should be looking at, not just relying on one or two markets. Mm. Rochelle, could you see perhaps more of a drive towards perhaps nearshoring or, or reshoring in terms of sourcing materials and things, you know, away from disrupted areas and closer to perhaps the, the markets that, that businesses are embedded in already? You know, could you see perhaps a drive towards towards that, that business model also? Absolutely. I think um, there certainly is um, a lot being written up about nearshoring and uh, the 
benefits of that, both from an economic point of view, from a logistical supply chain point of view for the manufacturers. Um, and certainly uh, the US have recently announced huge incentives for manufacturers to start manufacturing, let's say, in the US or in Canada or in Mexico. The Economist had an article out today, in fact, talking about the American protectionism that's coming to the fore. You know, for the last decade, if not more, we've always been talking about globalization, and hence why we have the diversified supply chains um, that that we look after. But yes, we are seeing some more nearshoring. But I think at the moment they seem to be quite specific to particular manufacturing, whether it's medical devices, aerospace, um, electronics, um, semiconductors, where there's quite a lot of patents around that and the technology, they want to bring it back in-house. But that also takes an awful long time. It's not going to happen overnight. We're not suddenly going to see um, all the manufacturing uh, moving out of China, Vietnam, yeah. the Philippines, etc. I think what we are going to see is a lot more diversification of supply chains. And actually, during yeah. the COVID pandemic, there was a really interesting case study around um, Crocs and their manufacturing setup, where they didn't rely on one big manufacturing plant. They had lots of manufacturing plants. So one one manufacturing plant was unable to manufacture their goods because of COVID and the lockdowns, etc. They could shift over to another manufacturing plant. Uh, And whilst there is a lot of um, talk that this really does increase um, supply chain costs, at the same time, if you can't get the product to market, that invariably costs you an awful lot of money. So, yeah, I think we're going to see a lot more um, diversification in supply chains going forward, as John mentioned earlier, to really keep that agility within manufacturer supply chains. They need to look at diversification. Yes, we, we, we yeah. hear a lot about um, China plus one now, <clears throat> and um, I think that will only continue. Is the kind of you know re- reduced price um, manufacturer of, of Southeast Asia, Ch- China specifically, but obviously many countries in that region? John, do you, do you not do you see that as, as less of a pull as it used to be, or you know um, why is why do you think it's now that that businesses are perhaps diversifying? Is it perhaps also because of this disruption over the last few years that Rochelle was talking about there? Oh, very much so. I, I think COVID had really brought that to light. Um, our over-dependence on one or two manufacturing areas has uh, um, caused a, a lot of pain in the industry, huge disruption in supply chains. And the cost of bringing products from afar compared to looking at nearshoring. But it's not just looking at the freight rates. But, you know, companies have to look at the total supply chain cost. And we do often um, hear about companies getting very focused only on the freight rates where we need to um, encourage companies to to look at their total supply chain costs and see if they can break it down to price per item. And that includes Mm. all the landed costs um, to door. Yeah. 
So do you see that a lot then? Do you see um, sort of shippers overly focusing on, on the freight rate and, and not considering other, other factors at play? Yes. I mean, um, I think it really depends on who you're talking to and really what they're targeted on. We certainly do see an overemphasis just on freight rates, which um, I, I think they can miss the other hidden charges or unbudgeted costs, which often can be a lot more than the actual freight rates. Yeah, and mm. just to touch on what John was saying as well, completely agree. And sometimes when we get sent through um, RFQs, it's it's in that particular space that we do see the absolute focus on those freight rates and some cl um, some clients or potential prospects, that's all they want to focus on. But it's about having that wider conversation with them saying, you know, have you considered the landed costs and the, the impact that might have on your supply chain costs, etc. What I will say, though, Scott, is um, I think that is changing. We are seeing a, a much bigger trend in terms of data and what's available. And this data really allows companies to analyze their total supply chain costs. And I, I think that will only continue. More and more uh, IT uh, digital companies are coming forward into the uh, logistical uh, marketplace. And, and this will benefit uh, importers and exporters. Yeah. Um... I mean, digitalization is, is obviously a huge topic in logistics. You know, d data more broadly, visibility have all been uh, buzzwords over the last few years. I, we will talk about that um, in slightly more detail in a little while. Uh, I just wanted to get both of your thoughts um, before we do on uh, the, the concept of a, of a just-in-time supply chain, which, you know, hasn't really been possible over the last three or so years, uh, given the disruption. Uh, we'll start with you, Rochelle. Do you ever envisage uh, companies moving back to a just-in-time supply chain model, or is the uh, is the scars of the last three years um, it sort of exposed how fragile uh, logistics can be and, and and move businesses away from it? Yeah, I, I think so. I think too many businesses have um, had their fingertips burnt by the the just-in-time supply chain, and as you mentioned, especially during um the, the the covid pandemic and i know you want to say we'll talk about the digitalization um, in a bit more detail um later on but with the availability of a far more data um in the supply chain um that there really is no need to run a, a just in just in time supply chain um anymore and also there are just too many um, volatile factors um, at, at play. What, why would you risk it when you've had the benefit of hindsight and seeing what had happened in the COVID pandemic? Would you, would you agree with that, John? To a certain point, but I, I think it comes back to again the the, uh, the ability to forward plan because what we see certainly in the US it is a, a severe lack of warehousing space, and I think mm. that will only uh, get worse in, in, in certainly in the beginning of 2023. So companies do have to relook at their uh, uh, supply chain. Do they look at more uh, origin warehousing? Are they going to have to look at different modes of transport to get their goods to site? And as much as they would like probably more stock in uh, uh, um, the US, say, 
I don't think it's always possible or they're paying a huge premium for that. So the just-in-time model may not be um, right and suitable, but I, I think that companies do have to remain agile in, in uh, their, their options here. Do you think, Michelle, that the, the, the pandemic period and the, and the last few years have made companies sort of think about their supply chains more and considering and going into 2023, are we, are we heading into a period where you know, businesses are, are looking at that supply chain and trying to enhance it and trying to build resilience into it in a way that perhaps previously they weren't. It was just, you know, we, we brought goods uh, in from China and then we distributed them around and, th and that was how it works. Do you think there's far more consideration towards um, building resilience into a supply chain now? Yeah, I, I think so. And again, it just goes back to the um, COVID pandemic um, I think everyone has learned so much from, from that experience. And uh, in, in line with that, during that time, so much more data was available to them to say, right, you, your, your, your container is stuck in this port. Uh, we can see it's going to be arriving at, at destination in, in 20 days, whatever it might be. Um, there was just a lot more data available yeah, and as the months go by, um, our, our, our information or the data tools that are available to us as a logistics business continues to grow. And of course, we pass on that information to our clients. So I think once manufacturers get a, a, a taste for all the data that is available, it's going to continue. They're going to want to have more and more information so they are able to have an agile supply chain. Yeah, John, do you see uh, do you see you know visibility tools and and data more generally as as a sort of key logistics battleground? I suppose in 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 the years to come. Absolutely. In the last few years, there's been quite a lot of um, visibility when the goods are on the water, but the issues have always been around the final mile. And, and I think that still continues. There still needs to be some advancements there, but it's certainly improving. And you know, th there's, there's a lot of options available, be it trackers on, on full loads. Sometimes the issues are when you're, you're um, moving less than container load goods, and these goods then are, are split up and uh, going to, to various sites. And it's, it's then where how, and how best to track and monitor that. that, that yeah, I think further uh, research and 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 um, improvements need to be made. Um, but mm. we we've come come forward in a huge way compared to where it was a few years ago. And um, we're seeing massive amounts of investment in, in this area, which is very exciting. I, yeah. I do think um, John is absolutely right. We have seen in the last few years huge amounts of VC going into the. Um, technological logistics space but I do think in, in 2023 we're going to see that um, tapering off and, and certainly uh, the, the JOC um, mentioned that, that this week that they have come out and said that um, VC investment into software technology for the logistics industry is really going to start really tapering off um, the VCs are not going to be so flash with their cash, as it were. 
Yeah, I was reading a stat this week, Rochelle, that uh, about two-thirds, about 67%, I think it was, of supply chain managers uh, are still using Excel as their kind of management tool. <laughs> well, it's, it's a good job this is a podcast because... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I know my face. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it shows that, the, the, although, as John mentioned, there's been a lot of take-up, uh, there's, there's a lot of, of interest in these tools. There's still a long way to go, isn't there? There's still a lot of opportunity uh, for it. For, and there's a lot of businesses that aren't realizing the potential yet of visibility tools. That's right. There, there are huge opportunities um, in the visibility space. I, I think what needs to happen is there is some uh, or, or a lot of amazing technology out there. But for some Ford, it's forwarders or um, manufacturers it's just not affordable ideally prices were get, would come down somewhat but are they going to when you've got um, rising costs inflation etc so I, I think that is this is going to be difficult in 2023 how big is the take-up of visibility tools going to be in this space mm. yeah just on the subject of, of kind of cost management then I don't know um what what you think about this john but f- for me i think it, it, it's almost a frustration that it the buzzword around these these data tools has become visibility because actually it's a lot more than that it's about tracking costs and data and that sort of thing that's a that's a huge side to it it's not just you know seeing where a container is at a certain time do you do you think that people don't realize that when people talk about visibility tools uh, what they're actually talking about is, is a huge amount of data related to your supply chain, not just seeing where it is at a, at a particular time. No, absolutely. I think it also uh, depends on what information they're given and, and how detailed mm. it, that is. But the tools available should allow you to make some quick changes based on the data um, that's given to you. And that mm. could be uh, disruption at certain ports, the cost of, of freight rates against um, the landed and delivery costs may be completely out. And therefore, uh, uh, looking at different ports with uh, shorter delivery times of your trucking it may make some uh, substantial savings. You could look at different modes of transport. Um, again, about uh, uh, planning ahead, maybe less on air freight, more on ocean freight. Um, mm-hmm. and, and there's, you know, substantial savings there and not um forgetting the green credentials that um are are on offer now um as well as part of the the data that is available within the supply chain and as john touched on about you whether it's air freight or sea freight looking also potentially um, green routes within sea freight um etc so i i think there's a a, a lot of exciting opportunities um, around um, the data that's available and how they, um, how manufacturers or clients can tie that into their um, ESG strategies. Yeah, that's some some really good extra benefits there. But I was I was going to say um, that it's like it's like you're both reading my show notes because I was literally about to talk move on to talk about. Uh, the environment and, and ESG. So uh, I'm glad you've you've naturally segued. So we've that, jumped the gun, have we, point. Scott? <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, my 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 first question on this subject is is slightly more gloomy than both what you two were talking about there. But um, I'll start with asking you, Rochelle, if that's okay. 
just speaking perhaps more generally than just about logistics, but is it a worry that in economically uncertain times, ESG might move down the priority list for, for businesses? It's definitely a concern that it might too when companies are already struggling with their costs, priorities do begin to um, move and change. But I also think there is, uh, there's been so much progress with with ESG. Obviously, it's not nearly where we need it to be. But, you know, in the last couple of years, we are making good progress. Um, and certainly us as a business, um, we do, certainly don't want to um, uh, abandon our ESG strategy. But I think only time will tell. We're really at, in the infancy of moving into this more volatile economic period. I think it's too early to say, what is going to happen, but certainly we would hope that there is still um, a lot of conversation uh, around you know the ESG um, principles um, mm. because it is so important for us yeah. as humans on this planet. So yeah, um, I mean, and also John, it's it's true, isn't it, that, that an increasing number of of customers are demanding good ESG practice from from businesses, isn't it? And that that's really driving the the logistics sector and the supply chain uh, industry towards you know better and, and cleaner practices, isn't it? It is, and 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 that then uh, uh, reverberates around the supply chain. We uh, have higher expectations from our suppliers, uh, and, and so on and so forth. But I think you know we've got to look at are, are we talking about the environmental factors and the other areas? I think it's also looking at the people's side. Um, mm. And again, with, with, with COVID, we, we've, we've seen a huge change in not only how people work, but what people want to do. And in, in our industry and a number of industries, that there is certainly a, a, a shortage of experienced people, uh, people not wanting to come into this industry. It's important uh, to maintain the, the social policies and, and keeping a, a, a hybrid system, uh, adapting to the changing working practices that, that will attract the right, mm. you know, the right people into the industry. Yeah, it's, it's a great point, actually, that, that um, ESG is, of course, a, a broader term than, than environmental. Obviously, you know, emissions is a big part of logistics, so that tends to take the focus. But there are plenty of other areas um, where, where businesses in this sector can can improve, and you know, in the way that they they treat their people and, and things like that. Um, just to finish the the kind of ESG conversation on the environmental note, um, you know, there is new regulation that's come in this year from the IMO around tracking carbon intensity for ships, although the, the, the restrictions on it aren't as strict in 2023 as they will be from 2024 and beyond. Uh, the regulations there, Rochelle, it seems to me like, you know, this really is the direction of travel from from the regulators and, and, and businesses um, are going to have to sort of take note and start trying to, to decarbonize or, or they're going to get caught out in the years to come. Uh, absolutely. And you just you spoke about the International Maritime Organization and their regulations um, 
as you said, that they've implemented in 2023, um, it's only going to intensify um, in the years uh, ahead. And I think they've also, they've mapped out the various um, structures that they want in place. I can't remember all of them off the top of my head, but they certainly do intensify um, over the, the, the next um, few years, decades, etc. And, um, and rightly so, we can't make these starts and then, um, go backwards we've got to keep the momentum going um, mm. as it were especially in our um, industry as we know we produce a lot of carbon emissions but I, I think um, certainly over the last few months years um, the the conversations um, around carbon emissions in our industry that there is so much more research um, commentary in mm. the marketplace um, which is very pleasing to see. We we are a long way off, but I think those conversations now that they've started, they will c- continue um, because I think that, that, that there's too many parties involved that want to keep this very much um, high on the agenda. And if I can just quickly so, say something interesting that just came out um, yesterday is... Um, green credentials, um, infrastructure. We've talked a lot about uh, China and their manufacturing credentials. And um, there's a lot lot of talk uh, about India and whether that's going to be uh, continue to grow as a um, a, a place of um, increased manufacturing. And there's always been talk that their infrastructure is not where it needs to be. And um, the Indian government released its first ever green bond with a plan to raise approximately two billion to support green infrastructure projects. So I think that's that that's a good starting point there that they're recognizing that their infrastructure is not where it needs to be, but they're also investing in green infrastructure. So um, I think it's going to be very interesting to see. Um, how that progresses. Mm. Well, um, I was going to say, uh, I was going to try and uh, move it on to uh, to a positive note to finish, but you've 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 pretty much done that, uh, Rochelle, which is great. But uh, j- just quickly before the end, John, if I could ask, tr- trying to focus on on a positive heading into heading into this year, you know, shipping conditions are improving, congestions on the way down, rates on certain lanes are heading into a more uh, stable direction. Is this not cause for, for real optimism amongst shippers heading into to this year? Look, I, I think it can be. I, I think if, if uh, um, companies are bold enough to uh, uh, look at new markets, there, there is always opportunities out there. And, and with problems, companies find solutions. Some companies that don't change and, and look at these, these new markets may struggle more than others. But yes, there, there is always optimism out there. Absolutely. And John, just I think just adding to that, oh, with the freight rates um, having come down uh, and they're being more stable, putting a positive spin on it, it does allow um, shippers to be able to better plan their um, logistical supply chains um, which obviously they haven't had the opportunity to do in um, the the last few months, 12 months, 18 months, 
just because the rates were so volatile. Now that they've leveled out a bit, it's easier for shippers to plan that the logistical costs. And once they know or have a better idea of their costs, like John said, um, it, it's easier to plan and grow into new markets because you've got better forecasting capabilities. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Um, great. Well, finally, uh, if I can just uh, put you both on the spot to to, to finish this podcast, uh, we'll start with you, Rochelle. Do you have a prediction of of a possible logistics buzzword for for twenty twenty three? What what do you think is is jumping out to you? Uh, we've actually mentioned this word quite a few times in, during our conversation: diversification. Um, and I think as a business, if you can diversify, you will find the opportunities um, in this kind of volatile economic environment that we are moving into. And what would you say, John? We've spoken a lot about visibility. I, I, I'd add to that and, and talk about predictive uh, visibility mm. and looking at um, data from multiple sources, uh, allowing you to give a, a picture of where your freight is and allowing you to, to plan as to when it will get into um, the final destination. Brilliant. Well, that was uh, very insightful. I think everyone will agree. Um, thank you both very much for joining me today. Thanks, Scott. Thank you very much. That was great.